Welcome to Precision Vision, where we work to unpack the ag tech tools of today and keep our sights on tomorrow. With your hosts, Craig Huyen and Morgan Sager. Welcome back to the Precision Vision Podcast. My name is Craig Huyen. And I'm Morgan Sager. Today we have a very unique interview with a food scientist, uh, Tess Jones out of Cincinnati. And she's going to be sitting down with us as we actually sit in a restaurant and eat fake meat. Fake meat. And where's the beef? Because uh, I was through the conversation that we have. It's very enlightening, um, very technical at some points in time. But we do think that you'll enjoy the the, uh, conversation that we had with Tess and find some insights that are beneficial for you. Well, with everything we've been seeing in the news lately, we think that meat alternatives have been um, pretty popular and getting a lot of visibility. So today, we're going to sit down with a close friend of mine, Tess Jones, who, when I think of a food scientist, was the first person to come to mind. Um, And we're actually sitting at uh, Matt the Miller's Tavern, and we're going to um, be experimenting with some of these fake meats. Um, So Tess, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background, and maybe uh, what term should we be using instead of just calling it fake meat? <laughs> right, right. right. Um, I am Tess Jones. I'm based out of Cincinnati. I sell food ingredients for a distributor, and we have about 3,000 ingredients, um, mostly dry ingredients, protein, salt, things of that nature. Um, and I have been getting a lot of hits from my customers on plant-based meats, which would be the term that I would use. Um, it is fake meat, and it's becoming even more meat mimetic, as I guess I would say, too. Um, as we progress, they're getting really good at being able to... It's not a veggie burger really anymore and a lifeless patty. It's a really good product. And so that's been cool to watch that improvement. And so people that aren't vegetarians or people that normally are meat eaters are getting into this now, okay. which is which is exciting to see. So the market's bigger. And so obviously we're like, that will sell more products. Yeah. Um, and, and they are good. I personally have, um, I went to White Castle solely on a mission to try theirs. I'm not a normal White Castle eater, <laughs> but it was good. And I would definitely eat it again. Um, they are able to load these up with salt and fat in a way that I was really not missing meat with. So. Oh, really? Yeah, it was interesting when we um, sat down. I was talking with the waiter a little bit about ordering one of these burgers, and I was like, does it defeat the purpose if we get bacon on it? He was like, oh, no, people do that, and they get cheese on it. So I don't know that it's really, like, the driving factor is to just avoid meat or animal products. Um so it's kind of interesting as, as we sit here with like an agricultural perspective, trying to understand like what this transition is going to look like for us and what it could mean for our customers, understanding what's driving the consumer, I think, plays a big role in that. And I don't know that we have a really great pulse on that yet. Yeah. Right. And I'm at the position where I have customers that are food manufacturers. And in some cases, they have been making, they've been using soy protein forever and now they have better ways to use it and there are better functional soy proteins out there so soy has always been the go-to protein for this plant-based diet or lifestyle or whatever and so now with the introduction of the beyond burger and the impossible burger 
um, it's really taken off and now everybody wants to talk to me about it and add a vegetarian patty to their line. Mm -hmm. so you say it's mostly soy protein that, that are creating these? A lot of it is soy, but you're seeing, you're seeing pea protein. People know the most about soy. Soy's been around the longest. Yeah. The pea protein, the problem when it first hit the market was it wasn't very deodorized, so everything tasted pretty much like peas. And so people were responding pretty negatively towards that because as a consumer, you may want to eat a plant-based diet, but you don't necessarily want all of your food to taste like peas, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So they've really worked hard to get rid of, to deodorize the protein. It's a process that they've gotten better at, mm -hmm. the manufacturers of it. And now it's more widely available. The market's caught up. People are growing peas more than just the soy. And then, like I said, they're finding different ways to texturize these proteins so that they eat like meat. Okay. And that's all in the processing, right? Yeah, it's all in processing. So this is a highly processed food. Oh, for sure it's a highly processed food. And it's not... I, I know people, um, there's another like big trend that everybody's looking at besides maybe the plant-based diet and the meatless Monday and all that stuff. There is um, a trend of clean label. And so these are not necessarily going to be the cleanest of label. And they're not even necessarily better for you than if you were to eat like a lean meat burger, for instance. Because okay. they've added the fat in there on purpose because they want it to taste good. They want you to want to eat it again. Okay. Is, is it an animal fat or is it a plant-based? It would Olive oil is one I see a lot of the time in it. Okay. In, uh, in an ingredient deck, it would be olive oil. Okay. Yeah, I know on the label it says vegan, so probably no animal. Yeah. Yeah, try it. Yeah, let's the, look at the, it. Did you cut it? Okay. I was going to say, it's the gluten-free label so we cut deterring it, you. <laughs> and it's a little creepy because, I mean, it doesn't look any different. No, it looks like a hamburger. Yeah, like medium well. <laughs> like it almost looks a yes, little pink. So Morgan, Morgan got cheese on hers. So the oh, pink in there. there should be bacon on there too. <laughs> oh, there's bacon I on I make human. <laughs> okay, cheese and bacon. So like. it is a little pink because they have been able to extract, I think it's a, extracted from the soy root of heme because mm -hmm. there's heme present in our blood. There's heme present obviously in animal products, but there is heme also in a soybean. And oh. so that's giving it that red color that also gives it that iron metallic meat taste. And it's good. That <laughs> is really good. Can make you talk with your mouthful. Mm -hmm. well, I'm tasting all of the toppings too. <laughs> sure, there's the like the total blend is a very good sandwich. It's a good. I mean, it's decent, and it makes me. So the time I got this at White Castle, it made me. I mean, I am a meat eater. I eat meat at every meal, probably. And if I don't have it, I kind of feel like my meal's missing something. Um, and that's just me. Uh, so when I went and got this at White Castle that day, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to want something else. But I really didn't. I was really satisfied. I thought it was, like I said, it was delicious. I would eat it again for sure. Um, they've, gotten, they've gotten good at it. Food scientists all over have 
Done a good job. <laughs> a question I would have that would be more focused towards what our owners at Sunrise Cooperative are kind of concerned about is how does this impact them being soy producers? Um, the first thing I would think about when somebody's looking at a non-meat burger or non-meat meat, meat um, if it's made with soy, does it need to be non-GMO? Does it need to be organically raised? Uh, what are the other criteria that the consumer is looking for that would need to be addressed in the production of the soybeans? Right, and those are those are huge trends too. I feel like with this though, I think they can kind of use the like it's pretty exciting that this eats like meat and isn't meat. So they've got that going for them. I think later the consumer will be like the secondary stuff will be okay. Well, is this good for me? Mm -hmm. Is this a good sub for me? Is this whatever I perceive as being good for me? So whether that isn't trying not to eat GMOs, if I perceive that as healthy, yeah. then I'll probably start to look into that. Mm -hmm. But right now, it's so new. Mm -hmm. And people will realize, okay, so it is made from soy, but you've seen a soybean, so it doesn't, obviously, it's been changed. Yeah. And so, I, you might not be super bogged down by that natural, non-GMO, organic, as you would be in another like market. product yeah and since product. it's highly processed then the processing might be oh the processing definitely you're definitely not going to get you're not going to have probably gmo dna in your in your product in most cases okay it's interesting so there's two different ways to look at that with the non-gmo so you can grow a non-gmo seed sure but also, you can highly process your GMO seeds to the point where GMO DNA is not going to show up mm -hmm. in a test. And so then they call that IP, which is Identity Preserved Non-GMO. So it's not going to show up in your finished product. And they count that. You can't get the butterfly on your package. I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, non-GMO butterfly. Um, I have some opinions on that, but um, the you can have it to the point where the DNA is, I mean, it's not present at all, so mm. it's effectively not GMO. Okay. I'm, I know that. And that's, I mean, that's an education piece. I know farmers want to, like, jump on to, you know, like, okay, well, now I have to start growing non-GMO seed. Okay. Well, I have GMO seed next to it. Anything can happen. Yeah. Um, and and there is that market and it is there. But now that we're highly processing all this food, I don't think it's as big of a worry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're chowing down. Yeah, the burger's pretty good. Right? Mm -hmm. It is good. I like them. And I really, I mean, I don't miss meat. It was funny. Craig was talking to his boss and he was like, well, I'm going to this, like, alternative meat place. We're going to go eat these meat. I'm like, I hate to break it to you, but we're actually going to, like, a steakhouse and you're just going to have to choose this. But it's mm -hmm. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's interesting. I mean, for me, I guess... 
I don't know if everybody eats like this, but for me, I want to try new things, so I'll gravitate towards it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to look and be like, all right, well, was that healthy? <laughs> mm-hmm. And if it wasn't, you know, so what? But, you know, people make choices, convenience. I think the big thing here is you could really sell it on the point of if you're eating a plant-based diet, it takes less water to grow plants, right? Mm-hmm. So it does have a little bit less of an environmental impact. Good point. I mean, that's kind of what Matt was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember exactly how he worded it, but the last interview we just finished up, they were, he was talking about, what was it? Cost of production or the ratio of what it takes to actually like get the plants to beef versus plants to like, something the like feed this. conversion of, of like of, how much of an animal you can eat based on how no, much how much, like how much, how much grass is required to make a pound of beef through feed conversion. So how much you know it's, it's much more efficient to maintain a plant based diet for a human because it takes so much food to convert grass to a, or he said feed, to a pound of beef or a pound of pork or sure. a pound of chicken. And my answer or my comment to him was, yes, that's true, but you have to compare apples to apples because a human cannot eat grass right. like a cow can and convert that to protein. Right, we cannot. So there, there's that little niche in there that you have to pay attention to because yeah, the, we're much more efficient to take plant-based, but we're not eating the same type of plants the cow's eating. We're eating soybeans, or we're eating peas, right. or we're, we're eating... We're eating processed plants, like yeah. pre-processed plants. And also, higher protein content plants. The soybeans higher protein right. than what a, the blade of grass is by far. Mm-hmm. The legumes are much higher in protein. So, so there's there's a lot of differences there. And, and my comment to him was, I think people are just trying to attack the, the poor beef farmers in Montana with their cow fat flatulence and everything. But right, right. And I'm not trying to necessarily, like, I don't think I would attack them. I think it's just different. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, I'm still supporting other farmers because, well, you still got to grow these soybeans. Right. 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 And no. they already are out there. They're already, it's already existing mm-hmm. product line, right? Or it's already existing pipeline of. We have the food in place. Now, these are just, when you say soy, you just mean regular soybeans, right? Mm-hmm. That's the raw material. No, we have a, an expanding plant at Sydney that's a Cargill facility. They bring in the soybeans, they crush them there, extract the oil, oh, and do they have they? a soybean meal. Okay. Would that be the same type of soy, Would it, or does it need to be a food-grade, food-quality processing? I'm not sure. Because we get that for animal feed. Right. And do they have direct customers? Like, does that cargo facility then have direct customers for animal feed? Mm -hmm. Okay, then you're not going to ever put that into the food pipeline. That'll just be an animal feed situation. But could they use that same same product? I mean, it is the the same process. I mean, you're, you're... um, I'm not. I don't want to speak on it necessarily because I'm not totally that's sure for, how the process fine. starts. Well, that was kind of unfair on my part, but I was, kind of, <laughs> I was kind of curious on that because you know we already have the systems in place to extract the oil. Then you have the soybean meal that's a protein feed ingredient. Right. It would be the same 
type of process, but a different type of facility. Because yes. They would have to stay clean the right. entire and it would have more steps. Right. But, you know, it doesn't even, I wouldn't even say it necessarily has to stay clean because you're going to, in a lot of these, you're making, you're adding that texture to it. And so that is a process using extreme heat and extreme pressure. Mm-hmm. So once it goes through that, it needs to stay clean. Nothing but lives. Yeah. Nothing is going to live necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. So hmm. it, it could very well be the same soybeans. Another market for our customers. Definitely. Well, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on the podcast is just like when we are looking at our industry as a whole and our farmers' livelihood, like are there opportunities for them to diversify? Are there opportunities for people who are working with us to maybe get ahead of the curve, get ahead of some of these trends? So that's a big part of what, mm-hmm. you know, what we're after here. Like, I don't think that we know, and it's the same with like autonomy and farm machinery. Like we don't know what that end game is going to look like, but by exploring it now, we think it'll at least get us thinking. So that mm-hmm. way, when we have opportunities or when we feel pressure to start doing something different, we're thinking outside of just the corn, one. soybean rotation. This is what we know, so this is what we always do. Kind of uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, and you have to, right? You mm-hmm. know, grow or die, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, and that's. I get to look at, you know, trends, what are people eating, and then, okay, how do we mass produce that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people are, want to eat a plant-based diet. So, okay, how do we provide as many options as possible? I mean, why do we have 400 types of cereal and 3,000 salad dressings? It's, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to have more protein sources. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested on your take on food labeling. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the non-GMO butterfly, and you said, I don't, I don't know if we should go there. Oh, the butterfly. Yeah, the non-GMO. Just a lot of that stuff to me, just like organic and all of that, it's a racket. It's a way for those groups to take your money. And they have a market, and people do buy based on that for whatever reason. And, I mean, eating is emotional, right? You're you're putting something in your body, okay? And you want to know as much as possible about it. And you've heard something negative about something. So you, a lot of times people are reactionary and they dive right in. And so we want to have options for everybody because everybody has to eat. Right. So, yeah, you have to do, you have to eat. So you have to do what's going to make you feel best. And if it makes you feel best to see that butterfly... Go for it. Then go, go it. after the butterfly. But recognizing, well, that's someone just paid some extra money to look at some paperwork is really what happened in that situation. Yeah. Well, you kind of talked through like that these burgers may not be the cleanest, but I think that even like the word clean kind of gets used inappropriately, right? Because you're sourcing these ingredients and they're all like things that we can eat right 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 and And so it doesn't necessarily make it dirty just because we don't understand it right or you know so for those of us who aren't food scientists like what's a perspective that we can take into the grocery store with us when we're trying to navigate through like all the labels all of these different alternatives that we have right we so we do have a lot of alternatives and it is really super overwhelming and i think that you have the way labels are 
at this point, you know, they have all these call-outs, natural, gluten-free, whatever you need to do. Obviously, if you have an allergy, you're going to need to respect that. Um, but I think for the most part, there's not any, like, nefarious activity out there. Like, your food is not necessarily clean if it doesn't say clean label. It's just, it was made in such a way that it needed to be mass-produced. And there are ways of doing that that involve a lot of processing. And so if you're okay with that, it's not making your food any less safe. Mm -hmm. It's not going to harm you. But, you know, if you would prefer to eat a more, you know, raw, closer to the crop itself diet, then you can make that choice as well. It's totally, I mean, it's totally personal. Yeah. Yeah. I just think people get caught up, but it's, you know, eat what makes you feel best. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a lot of fear, I think, that's driving. There is a some lot. Of there our, is. And I mean, so like even as a mother who works in agriculture, like even I find myself falling victim to it sometimes because it's so loud, right? Yeah. Like so there's there's external pressures and there's all these things that I – I really believe and feel like I know and understand, but I can't help myself like <laughs> questioning the purchases that I'm making for my family at the same time, which is, it's just bizarre, but that's just where we're at. So it's and one of the things that we lose sight of that's easy to lose sight of is the fact that we do have a very safe food supply oh, in yeah. the United States. And so it's not organic. It's still safe. It's still good, nutritious food. That's very economical. Uh, it's very cheap. Mm -hmm. And even though it's non-GMO or not organic or, you know, how they say it, it's not non-GMO, it's not organic, it's not whatever, it's still a good quality food and people need to respect that and, and go for it. But I, I think to Matt Roberts' comment earlier today was we have a certain amount of wealth in our country that people can now afford, if they so choose, to buy that organic gallon of milk that costs six dollars, or that, yeah, or that dozen eggs for six dollars that still has the, the chicken poop on it from the, the CSA. That, that <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of different places you could buy food, and uh, if you have the money to do it, if you so choose, like to your point, then we're gonna we're gonna pay that money to do it. So. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. So our last interview that we did, um, he was all for adding more, more labels. labels. Because he's like, that's going to put more dollars, should theoretically put more dollars in the farmer's hand at the end of the day because it's the way they're marketing their product, not necessarily the way it's being grown or raised. I tend to like think the other way because I understand how fear works when it comes to being the one who's purchasing those you know, products for your family and it's so confusing. And at what point, right, and at what point is it a distraction? Yeah. Right. How do you compare a cage-free egg versus a... Battery free cage. range egg oh, yeah. or whatever they say they yeah. cage free and free range. Yeah. i mean are those the same well or like coffee has so many like rainforest blend or bird safe or yeah. you know how do you yeah i just want my coffee black and hot right how do you it. you just get lost in it and so yeah we do i mean i would call it privilege like we have a privilege to kind of eat however we decide to eat yeah and we have choices, but the choices also come with guilt. And they will inundate For whatever us, reason. Right. It's more information <laughs> is not always good information. Yeah. That's good. It's, it's good. Um, 
I think there's a lot of opportunities with the plant-based meats that we're eating today with knowing that, I mean, you could almost, and I'm thinking in a different realm, which hopefully I don't lose you, Tess, but okay. <laughs> we have some technologies in agriculture that are coming up that are not here yet. I'm thinking blockchain and traceability and, and transparency of, of food sources that we could look at and that may add some value to the farm gate like you were saying with the labels just in a different way so like knowing what field knowing what field it came from what grower it came from uh, uh, when it was harvested what was done on that field for this crop to be produced and and uh, and Walmart's doing that now with their leafy green products with the bar the blockchain system right if you want to see the farm yep in a Google Earth view you yeah, you take a picture of the barcode or the QR code on the on the side in the in the store aisle, and it'll show you where the where the farmer was. You know, if not the specific farmer, one of three or four growers, right. and so they're able to track where it came from. So it's more of a food security issue for them, because if there's a salmonella outbreak in, right. a, in a head of lettuce they can find out within minutes where it came from, what the steps were. And that that's important. Through. It's very important. Is That's important to definitely the manufacturer and the store. And so, the I mean, I welcome that. I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I don't welcome more information, but I just feel like for the average person, if you have all that information, what are you going to do with it? Right. Well, instead of... Pulling. And does that put more money in the farmer's pocket to... Be less waste. Okay. It'd be less, that's more for the store owner. So, I mean, there's... We could dive into the economics on that all day long, I think, but it, and I'd probably get muddied up with it. <laughs> but you, you start to think, like, let's say there is an outbreak. And then Walmart, that store, can look within minutes and find out what path that, that case came from. And if they have several cases from different that took different paths, they may not need to take all of that lettuce off the shelf. They just need to pull out two or three or four cases and still have product on the shelf. You don't create this mass fear of all the... Yeah, hysteria, because we don't know where it came from. Exactly. Or... So you think of the, the different lettuce outbreaks that they've had over the last couple of years where people don't want to eat salad anymore. Right. Um, because they don't know the difference between a, a romaine lettuce and... Uh, an iceberg lettuce, you know, so the, everything is bad since they don't know that difference. But so if you could almost do it more seamlessly, more, more natural, say, oh, don't, please don't grab this. We're going to pull this off because please choose from the other boxes that we have here. Right. Um, and that would create a lot less waste on the part of the supermarkets that they're not throwing out all of their order. They're just throwing out one or two cases or three cases. So, so that's a benefit. And then that could also drive the, the cost of food down a little bit to the oh, consumer yeah. or provide more revenue for the growers, especially if they could take that back to the grower and say, this grower has these management practices. Right. They have never had a recall off their farm in the last 15 years. Right. So I think where it gets that kind of convoluted, though, is when you really start looking at those metrics and potentially identify that these methods that we think are better for us have a bigger carbon footprint or are less sustainable exactly. or and you know because then you know people have to choose then yeah. right and and I think more information is good because then they're choosing between two informed sides instead of wanting you know sometimes you can't have both now I don't know if that's necessarily the case no but, well but, it's right. still very early in that technology and 
I think it opens the door for some future, at least perspectives, like you were telling Tess earlier, trying to throw these ideas out to our listeners that, that maybe they at least be exposed to some of the different ideas that are coming up so that they could be prepared when they do get confronted with the opportunity. These have, they've at least heard it before. That's and, true. So they're not caught flat-footed where they're like, people want to know that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, the um, your, your talk on a carbon footprint, it, it, maybe if they knew the differences between organic and conventional farming, yeah, the conventional farm still, you know, they, they spray a herbicide that's at this small rate uh, two weeks after or five days after, two days after it got planted in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then they came back in later, put another small rate of herbicide on the field when the corners of beans or whatever was a little bit taller to make sure it was weed free. That's all the, per- the herbicide that got applied on that field. You know, it, it's very small amounts. So now if they know that, and they realize that the carbon footprint from organic, every time you turn that soil, you release carbon. If you go into a no-till situation, you don't release that carbon. So you're using the earth as a sink to hold all this carbon, whereas the organic will stir it and release all that carbon in the form of CO2, creating more greenhouse gas. I mean, there's a lot of things. And that's that's basic information. That's, that's basic science and biology. Right. But um, I don't think people understand the differences with that. And, but if you're able to, to show that in a very clear-cut way, maybe maybe they will understand a little bit more and not hold that butterfly to be such a highly valued symbol on their Right, and I think cereal. people hold the whole value of, you know, you see all natural on a food label. Well, the FDA doesn't have a definition for natural. So I'll even have some of my customers come to me and say, all right, well, I want to make this, but I want it to be all natural. And I'll say, okay, well, what's your definition of all natural? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I kind of force them to be more specific. So does that mean non-GMO? Does that mean allergen-free? Does that mean not processed or minimally processed? Yeah. So it's there is that pushback. And so then it kind of forces them to rethink their labeling after a while. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I just won't put all natural on there because when I tell them it doesn't have a definition, well, why would you necessarily want to call it out? Yeah, that's a good point. And so... Once we get people really, once we get that education piece to it, they will, I mean, it'll, it'll just keep getting better. Yeah. We run into the same thing with sustainability. There's a lot of different definitions for sustainability. And if you look at it from an environmental sustainability or an economic sustainability, and oftentimes they overlap, Uh, but I don't think anybody gives them the opportunity, gives the farmer the opportunity to say, yes, I'm economically sustainable because I'm a third, fourth generation farmer. By the way, I'm also environmentally sustainable because I am a third or fourth generation farmer. And I don't think a lot of consumers realize the overlap between those two. There's there is a both of those right. both of those definitions are exactly right for the word sustainability. But yes. people want to cut and break it apart and then it creates more confusion. So, it does, it does. So your point about all natural is the same thing. I mean really is if it there's is. no true definition that, that we could label something on, then it's hard to to make it clear and, and understood. Yeah. Right. And then it's hard to help you pick between two pork chops. Mm-hmm. Heaven forbid. <laughs> take them both. Now it's three pork chops. <laughs> now it's three. Now, now it's, you've got it's your organically. plant-based pork. And your... <laughs> you know, yeah, with, with uh, plant-based flavoring to make it taste like pork. Um, however they do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, well. Give, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um well you have your organically raised pork chop you have your conventionally raised pork chop you have your all naturally raised pork chop right now your plant-based pork chop oh yeah i'm gonna let my wife continue to go to the grocery store Right. And I'm going to continue to go to the grocery store just because that's kind of exciting to me to think about. <laughs> so that's why I am where I am. Yeah. That's why I am where I am. Yeah. Please don't consult me on your next grocery shopping trip. I'm already high and deep in my own. <laughs> Someone did ask me that, that click list, right? So now sometimes I guess people might be reading the labels less if they're doing click lists and mm-hmm. whatnot, having their groceries um, picked out for them. And so you'll see people are going there. Well, people are going to the grocery store less, so they're probably avoiding a lot of that decision making. Yeah, that's true. I'm just mm-hmm. picking yeah. the things I always get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always do click lists because I'm not crazy. And it's really hard to like actually see the ingredients and stuff. I could definitely see that people are spending less time looking at ingredients if they're using ClickList or you know the equivalent at other grocery stores. Yeah, yeah they are. And I, I, I am I not bet, a person. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see marketing ramp way up to try to reach the customers because they're going to have to reach them somehow. Yeah. They've been talking about how people have gotten away from buying brand names constantly. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we'll see people switch back to brand names. Yeah, maybe. I feel like we've seen a general trend of people moving away from larger company brand names um, and then maybe trying to brand to feel smaller than what they used to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's just a little bit of trust still in having that. So. Well, yeah, you see a company like Nestle who has a bunch of different lines of products, but ultimately it's all Nestle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funnels up. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Well, Tess, I really appreciated you taking the time to have this yeah. conversation with us. It's one of those like out of the box conversations we've been wanting to have, and we felt like with all of the press that we've been seeing on Twitter about Chipotle saying they would never do this, and Burger King rolling out that they're definitely doing this, and all of these right. different conversations, we wanted to sit down with someone who could give us a little bit deeper perspective into what's really going on. So, yeah. appreciate your time. Yeah, I think the impact that. Um, the knowledge that you bring that how it could impact our growers that we work with, I think is a, maybe help them a little bit and understanding that it's not all foo-foo dust out there. There's, there's some true legitimate information and, and a truly legitimate product um, that's available for us. So Yeah, so if someone were interested in learning more or continuing this dialogue, is there a good place where they could reach out to you? Yes, you are welcome to find me on my LinkedIn. I'm consistently posting about ingredient updates. There's all kinds of new stuff coming out. Um, Everybody wants to hop on to whatever trend is coming up next, and we can always talk about it. And obviously, it's something I enjoy doing. So That's good. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. You are welcome. I will say that the the flavor of the burger was far better than I anticipated going into it, and um, and Morgan, to your point earlier, it's uh, it was a little discouraging knowing that I was going to be eating a plant-based protein hamburger when there was nice steak pictures on the menu and and real beef on the menu, but it was it was a good it was a good meal with very good conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, so the burger was good to Tessa's point. I didn't miss not having the meat. Um, but, you know, just to kind of recap what she was talking about, I think it is so valuable that as American farmers, we are constantly evolving and considering what our consumers are asking for. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated Tessa's perspective on how this industry may be changing and evolving. It's up to us to think about what impact does that have on our business and our operation and how are we going to adapt if we need to. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, I don't know that sitting here today, Craig, that you and I have the answers, but definitely want to be thinking about what does the future look like because it feels like it's changing at a faster pace than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, and that's true. And, and I brought it up, we brought it up before that, that one of the purposes of our podcast is to introduce new ideas, new concepts to you as listeners so that you could be prepared a little bit, at least get it in your mindset that these things are coming down the pipeline and um, and at least be prepared when it comes to your gate that uh, these are opportunities or options for us to diversify or they might be opportunities for us to create new efficiencies. Uh, but just having a basic understanding of what's out there and, and what people are looking at from not only the processor perspective, but what our end consumer, the people in the grocery store are looking for in their food. Yeah, and so just a couple of, of things to leave you with. After we finished up that interview or that conversation with Tess, she sent us an article um, and it, it just talks about some of these plant-based meat alternatives. Um, Tim Hortons is testing plant-based eggs. Tyson launched its first plant-based blended products. Um, uh, Kroger is developing plant-based products. One of these, uh, Maple Leaf, management sees a potential for greater than $3 billion sales in the next 10 years. Burger King's expanding to 7,000 stores. Plant-based sales surge to $4.5 billion. I don't think that this is something that we should ignore. Mm -hmm. I think that it's definitely something we want to be paying close attention to. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation. I think that you can anticipate hearing us talk more about this in the future. So until next time, this has been the Precision Vision Podcast, Inside the Boundary and Out of the Box. Thanks for tuning in to the Precision Vision Podcast with your hosts, Craig Huyen and Morgan Sager.